Welcome to the Migraine Miracle Moment. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Turknett. I'm a neurologist, migraine specialist, migraine sufferer, and author of the books, The Migraine Miracle and Keto for Migraine. In this podcast, you'll learn all about how to find your path to migraine freedom. Let's get started. Howdy, beast slayers. So in this episode, I'm going to address a very common question which is what to do about different migraine variants. And by migraine variants, I mean things like vestibular migraine, ocular migraine, optic migraine, menstrual migraine, hormonal migraines, and so on. So are these things totally different entities? Should we treat them as their own thing? Or are they fundamentally the same and warrant the same type of approach ultimately? It's a topic where there is a lot of confusion both in the healthcare system and on the interwebs. And hopefully, after this episode, you'll no longer be confused about this issue. So now it's time to celebrate our Beast Slayer of the Week. So in each episode of The Miracle Moment, we highlight somebody in our uh, Migraine Miracle community who's recently dealt a mighty blow to the beast. And this week's Beast Slayer of the Week is Steve. And Steve is a member of Migraine Everland and one of our uh, favorite community members who uh, a little while back uh, posted this comment. Uh, I'd love to post about the success I've experienced using the Migraine Miracle. After two years of MAV, which is migraine-associated vertigo, and feeling like a functional disabled person due to the constant floating feeling, brain fog, and often full-blown vertigo, uh, after two months, still improving, uh, none to very little symptoms uh, with occasional head pain, uh, one half-hearted vertigo attack during this time, uh, after taking two to three, uh, after taking abortives two to three times a week for months, I've only needed it once in two months. I still keep my carb count under 25 or so a day. Sometimes I'll splurge up to 50. Um, I feel so much better. I would feel selfish not sharing what this little little miracle diet did for my migraine-associated vertigo disorder. So that's my experience. Um, so I chose Steve here uh, as our beast slayer of the week, uh, in part because his primary issue over the past over the past uh, couple of years has been uh, migraine-associated vertigo, uh, which is also known as vestibular migraine, uh, which I know had been a daily battle for him and a constant source of misery. And since implementing the plan, uh, as he talked about, uh, he's at last enjoying relief from that misery. Uh, And I know that um, this was posted a few months ago, and um, he's uh, doing even better uh, now. So congratulations to Steve uh, for uh, making that progress and putting in the work that it took to get there. If you want to read other success stories uh, uh, and to uh, download the guide to getting started with the Migraine Miracle Plan, uh, just head over to beastslayers.com. Okay, so now let's get into the meat of today's topic on all the different types of migraine. And to help us understand these different uh, variations of migraine, we need to first review a little bit about the physiology of migraine headaches. So as I've talked about in prior episodes, migraines are a mini-armed beast, and the different arms correspond really to different pathways in the brain that uh, can be activated as part of migraine physiology. So in a fully expressed or a fully realized migraine, 
all of the arms of the beast are active. In other words, all of the various migraine pathways in the brain are turned on. And we typically divide a fully realized migraine or a full-blown classic migraine into having four distinct phases. The first of those phases is what's known as the prodrome, which is a period that can last up to about 24 hours that precedes uh, the pain phase of a migraine, and it can include a variety of different kinds of symptoms. So these can include things like disturbances in temperature regulation, which can result in feeling excessively hot or excessively cold. It can be an increase or a decrease in appetite, a change in mood, excessive sleepiness or excessive energy or hyperactivity, um, and so on. And the common thread amongst these symptoms is that they are all feelings that are generated by the part of our brain known as the hypothalamus. And as I've discussed before, this is one of several lines of evidence that points to the hypothalamus as the part of the brain where migraines begin. Now, not everyone experiences prodromal symptoms prior to a migraine, and those who do oftentimes don't recognize them as being part of a migraine, uh, or if they do, only recognize them in retrospect. So that's the first phase, the prodrome. And then the second phase, um, which is particularly relevant to our discussion today, is the aura phase. And auras are one of the most distinctive features of migraines. And they consist of a temporary and very specific disturbance in brain function that usually lasts between 20 to 45 minutes. And in the brain, auras are associated with a phenomenon that's referred to as spreading depression which is this slowly uh, propagating or expanding wave of excitation or an increase in activity in neurons, followed by a period of inhibition or de decreased activity of those neurons and other brain cells. You can kind of think of this uh, wave of spreading depression as like a pebble being dropped on the surface of the brain and the wave spreading, up, uh, spreading from the point of impact as it would in a body of water. So this wave of spreading depression is associated with a, dis a temporary disturbance in neurological function in a particular part of the brain. And where in the brain that disruption occurs will determine how uh, it's experienced by the individual or what symptoms a person will have uh, with that aura. The most common kinds of auras are visual in nature, so they create some kind of disturbance in vision. And so visual auras are a disturbance in neuronal or brain cell function in the part of the brain that's primarily involved with receiving visual information, which is in the occipital lobe, uh, which is located in the back part of the brain. And then the second most common type of auras are what we'd call sensory auras, where there's some sort of disturbance in sensation. And tingling in the fingers or hand is typically the most common uh, one of these. And again, this is because the exact same disturbance uh, is occurring in the part of the brain involved with receiving sensory information from the skin, in this case, rather than uh, information, visual information from the eyes. Um, however, while auras do seem to occur more commonly in certain areas of the brain, for reasons we don't still fully understand, it's possible for them to occur really in any part of the cortex, uh, which can produce just about every type of neurological disturbance you could imagine. And the ones that we've given specific names to are just the ones that we see more often. 
So for example, if someone experiences a visual aura without an ensuing headache, then that's typically referred to as an ocular migraine. If someone has a cluster of symptoms that can include dizziness, vertigo, uh, problems with balance, uh, ringing in the ears, uh, nausea, vomiting, uh, slurred speech, loss of balance, uh, alterations in their level of consciousness or even fainting, um, this is known as a basilar migraine, uh, which refers to the basilar artery, which supplies the parts of the brain that mediate all of those functions I just described. And as I said earlier, most auras resolve in about 20 to 45 minutes, but in some people they may last longer. And most of the migraine variants fall into this category, meaning they're named according to the type of neurological disturbance that occurs with them. And since these symptoms typically occur either before or even without a headache, they can easily be, mis be mistaken for something other than migraine. So one reason why these names exist is simply as a reminder to healthcare providers to be on the lookout for the various forms of migraine so that they aren't inappropriately diagnosed as something different. Now, the third phase of migraine is the pain phase. Uh, and while we typically associate disturbances in neurological function with the aura phase, which typically lasts around 20 to 45 minutes, there are certain disturbances in neurological function that can occur in the pain phase as well, though they're typically less extreme in their presentation. But the main thing to remember here is that the physiology of migraine can produce all manner of neurological disturbances, which may or may not be associated with head pain. Because remember again that migraines are a many-armed beast, with the aura being one arm, the pain being another arm, and you may or may not have all the arms active during a single attack of migraine. However, they are all considered to be symptoms of the same underlying physiology, and the symptoms that are experienced are a reflection of where in the brain that physiology is occurring. So, vestibular migraine, for example, essentially refers to dizziness and vertigo, or a sensation of movement when you're not actually moving, that's produced by migraine physiology. And it's likely a reflection of several different possible pieces of migraine physiology. So what I mean by that is for some, it can be an aura phenomenon where the physiological changes, uh, in particular the, that wave of spreading depression I talked about, are occurring in the vestibular cortex. So a region of the brain that's involved in processing signals that are related to balance. And in others, it may be tied into the pain phase, uh, particularly through the activation of the trigeminovascular system, which is the part of the brain uh, located in the brainstem where um, so much of the pain of migraines occurs. But that part of the brain has widespread, widespread connections throughout the brain, and through those connections, they may direct, directly activate the vestibular system. So in, es in essence, creating noise in that system uh, and activating neurons that are involved with signaling the perception of movement, yet in this case are being activated by uh, m the migraine physiology itself rather than movement. In addition, many patients will experience uh, dizziness and vertigo when there's uh, extreme nausea and vomiting with the migraine. So again, uh, that would also meet criteria for vestibular migraine. So the big takeaway from this is that 
All of these different migraine variants are simply different versions of the same underlying physiology. And those differences are mainly a reflection of what part of the brain is being primarily impacted by the migraine physiology. And as I mentioned earlier, one reason why these different names for these variants exist is number one, simply to make it easier for healthcare providers uh, and migraine researchers to talk about migraines. And then number two, to remind us that migraines can take many forms so that we don't miss a diagnosis. And then another reason that all of these different variations exist, um, not just for migraines, but for many things in medicine, is be simply because of the way medical billing works. Over the years, uh, medical billing has been characterized by an ever-growing number of specific diagnosis codes uh, for reasons that are not entirely clear to me, but for whatever reason, they want healthcare providers to be as specific as possible when it comes to the diagnosis they give. Uh, so, for example, nowadays when we're seeing a patient for an ischemic stroke, <clears throat> meaning a stroke from a clot in a blood vessel, we can no longer uh, code that as just an ischemic stroke, but rather we must also include the particular artery in which the stroke occurred. So there's a stroke, there's a code for an ischemic stroke in the middle cerebral artery and a stroke in the posterior cerebral artery and the posterior inferior cerebellar artery and so on. And the problem here is that this can present uh, a very confusing picture uh, for people outside of this system as all of these various categories may give the impression that there's some fundamental difference between all of these things. And really, uh, neurologists, we don't think of these uh, uh, type different strokes in these different arteries as have being fundamentally different in any, in any uh, meaningful way. Um, and the reality is so many of these different categories were created solely to allow for more granular uh, billing, but they don't reflect any underlying fundamental truth. But unfortunately, they now influence how we talk about these things. And it ends up being uh, very confusing because you have this one category of thing that's subdivided unnecessarily in all of in, into all of these other categories. To give an analogy, it's like if instead of talking about trying to understand how to put out a fire, we began that process by creating category, separate categories for a fire in a living room or a fire in a kitchen and a fire in a bathroom and a fire in Atlanta and a fire in Denver and a fire at a grocery store and a fire at a pharmacy and so on. And then because of these different categories or subdivisions, we then thought we needed to have a different strategy for putting out a fire uh, for each of these different uh, locations uh, simply because we, these categories existed. And when the reality is any fire, regardless of where, where it is, just needs fuel, heat, and oxygen to continue, and those principles will apply to putting out a fire regardless of whether that fire is in your living room or at the grocery store and so on. And the same thing is true with migraine. All of these migraine variants are just different expressions of the same underlying phenomenon. And so the principles for dealing with them are going to be the same. So with all this in mind, I think you know what the answer to our original question is, which is, does the migraine miracle plan help for these different variations of migraine, or is there some fundamental difference? Uh, and the answer is, there is no fundamental difference here. Uh, we're, again, talking about vari uh, various expressions of the same underlying changes in brain physiology. 
And if you're in our Facebook group, you've probably seen posts from multiple people uh, with these different migraine variants, um, including uh, many uh, with vestibular migraine who are f finding success for the first time ever in uh, conquering them. And in fact, I personally have had multiple migraines uh, over the years that would meet criteria for vestibular migraine. And as you know, uh, the plan has worked wonders for me. There is one caveat here about vestibular migraines uh, in particular that's worth mentioning. And that is that uh, vestibular migraine isn't an easy diagnosis uh, to make. Um, it's considered a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning that uh, it's uh, arrived at by uh, excluding other possibilities um, that could account for the same types of symptoms. And one of the problems here is that the diagnosis is almost entirely based on symptoms that are described, and there are multiple conditions uh, that can produce very similar types of symptoms, none of which have uh, particularly definitive ways of making the diagnosis. And this is true pretty much in all of medicine, that most of medical diagnosis is a reflection of a best guess. In other words, um, pretty much every diagnosis comes with an associated degree of certainty about you know, how, how the likelihood that you're right about that diagnosis. So sometimes uh, the degree of certainty about a diagnosis is close to 100%, uh, especially when you have a, a well-validated blood test or, or, or other uh, uh, measure that you can use. Whereas others may be much lower than that, and that's simply because our tools and our information is, li is limited. And dizziness is a notoriously difficult symptom to diagnose. Uh, and so the level of certainty with any diagnosis made for uh, dizziness, when that's the primary symptom, is typically, typically going to have a fairly low degree of certainty. If someone walks into a doctor's office with symptoms potentially consistent with vestibular migraine, uh, those symptoms are also often compatible with other conditions like benign positional vertigo, vestibular neuritis, Meniere's disease, and so on. And they may end up coming away with a uh, diagnosis of vestibular migraine. But in reality, if if the doctor is pressed about it, they might say that they're 40% certain that that's the correct diagnosis and then would put the likelihood of those other three at about 20%. So here we'd have a case where it's considered to be less than a 50% chance that uh, the diagnosis is actually vestibular migraine, but it's still the most likely possibility compared to the other ones. And unfortunately, we have a very low tolerance for uncertainty in Western medicine. Uh, we want solid, uh, definitive answers, even when such a thing is impossible, which isn't of itself a big problem, but that's a topic for another podcast. Um, and in many cases, the only thing that would help uh, increase our level of confidence or decrease it about a particular diagnosis is time. Um, but the point here is that it's not at all common for people who are diagnosed with vestibular migraine as the cause of their dizziness to not actually be experiencing vestibular migraines. And it's not because there's a, a mistake has been made or that there's not been not enough testing. It's simply a reflection of the limitations of our knowledge and our abilities in this area. But one potential clue that the symptoms being experienced aren't from vestibular migraine is that it's not responding to migraine treatments.
All right, that concludes this episode of the Migraine Miracle Moment. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe to it on whatever podcast player you're listening to it on. And if you want to help spread the word, feel free to share it with others who you think might be interested. Thanks so much for joining me, and I will see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.